Hello. There it is. How are you guys this morning? All right. I haven't been up here since January. Okay, so you're going to have to indulge me a little bit. We're ready. You guys ready to go this morning? All right. Good crowd. Getting into Hebrews. Good scripture. Let's do this thing. I think the Facebook people are somewhere over there. I'm going to try not to worry about that. Um, first of all, Smiths, thank you guys so much for sure. What an impactful story of God's faithfulness. Yeah, give them a hand. And as we're going to talk about today in Hebrews, as we go through a great passage, is that kind of realness and vulnerability, you know, that's how we come together and live in community, right? So, but what an impactful story of God's faithfulness and of patient endurance, which is what we're going to talk about today. All right. So my son Eli, when he was younger, used to sit down at the table with us, and he would say, Mom, Dad, can we talk about things that are real? That's what I want to do today. So you guys are going to have to indulge me. I'm a people person. I always tell people quarantine's been my worst nightmare because I love people and I hate projects. So you're going to have to indulge me a little bit. I'm just glad to be with you all today. And it's a good crowd. You know, this, this is probably the most people we've had in person since we started coming back, which is on Labor Day, which is awesome. So be praying for Megan Adams and her family as they continue to, go with the loss of, uh, to deal with the loss of her mother and Blake and his family as they travel and get a much-needed break with family. So we're going to dig into Hebrews today. We're continuing our long series on a journey through Hebrews that Jesus is still the answer, no matter what we're dealing with. I love the series. I love Hebrews. There's so much challenge and encouragement in Hebrews, and the overall theme of it is the preeminence of Christ, or Jesus being above all. So we're going to continue that. Last week, Blake got to preach about a couple of my favorite verses. Hebrews 23 through 25 are verses that I read to our teams at the end of every Honduras mission trip because it is so important as we're walking in mission to hold on to hope, to come together, to encourage each other to love and good deeds as we await Christ's return. So he took one of my favorite verses and brought me in as the B team for the holiday weekend to take what's next. And as usual, I get some tough passages that involve both warning and challenge, but I'm excited about talking, uh, I'm excited to talk about them this morning. So Blake talked last week about how we can't trade something real for something ritualistic. You guys remember that? We can't trade the real for the ritualistic. We have to choose Jesus and the real life that he brings. So this week, we're, getting in, we're continuing in Hebrews 10, and that's launching us forward into 26 and 39. This passage, like many in Hebrews, is a strong encouragement. The encouragement is to be bold, to move forward, and not to shrink back in our faith and in our walk with Christ. But there's also a serious warning in this chapter, as I mentioned. If we fall away from our faith and return to our old ways of sin and arrogance, we risk wasting our lives. That hits me as a warning. Anybody in here want to waste your life? I don't. But guess what? It's a risk. If we choose a life of arrogance and sin over a life that lays down for Jesus, we risk that. So here are the points we're going to talk about. And again, you're going to have to indulge me. I'm going to need a little back and forth today, okay? Right, we're in here in a close group. Let's just, let's get real today. The four R's, this is what, what I want you to remember, okay? R number one, we have to refuse 
to live or return to a life of deliberate sin. Some of us are in that stage. We all struggle with it. Number two, we have to reflect on what Jesus has done. This is where the Smiths come in. The Smiths, they have struggled through this story, but now guess what? They have a story and a faith anchor that they can reflect on forever. That can never be taken away from them. We're going to talk about how powerful that can be. The third R, be ready. We have to be ready to live by faith and endure future trials and pressures on our faith. Expect them. They're coming. There will be trials and pressures. If you're not going through one now, you will be. And I dare say we're probably all going through one now because we're going through a lot right now. Right? And number four, reward. The fourth R. We will receive, if we live by faith, we'll receive what God has promised. So you can see the warning does transition. So hang with me. The warning is real, but the encouragement is real too. In the chapter at the end, it all comes down to this. Are we walking by faith or are we wasting our lives wandering? I'm going to say that again. Are we walking by faith or are we wasting our lives wandering? Not wondering wandering are we just wandering aimlessly sound good everybody with me all right let's stand up we're going to read through scripture together out of respect for God's word and to breathe a little life and let's stand up and go through the scripture Hebrews 10 26 through 39 dear friends if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when, you all, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, your powerful word that tells us in so many different ways that Jesus is preeminent over all. He is the answer. Lord, no matter what we've been through, what we're going through, or what lies ahead, he is the answer. Lord, challenge and change us today. Break our hearts. 
call us out of sin and towards you and help us to mature and grow in you together. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, you can sit down. All right, so you can see this part of Hebrews 10 is a part of Scripture. Let's start with the warning part, okay? We're going to be in that for a while. And the particular part that begins the chapter, that begins the passage we're with, has long been a source of different viewpoints, ranging from Christians losing their salvation to simply being warnings against the sin and rejection of Christ. So I had to dig in and do a little research on this because when you first read it, it's hard to know how to take it, right? It's powerful, strong language. So I'll be leaning on Warren, Warren Wearsby. His name's hard to say, and I'm going to be saying it a lot. But if you've ever read him, he's amazing. And his Bible exposition commentary and several other commentaries as we navigate through this. But based on all that research, I think the lens with which we're looking through this is I don't believe this passage is talking about losing your salvation. And this is why I say that. Because again, as Blake's talked about multiple weeks before, this letter is written to Jewish Christians who are contemplating turning from their new faith because of persecution. It was sent to firm up the preeminence of Christ in their minds and the foundations of their new faith. So in my mind, it's a warning to get the Jewish Christians' attention and our attention, not necessarily something that's happening in terms of salvation being lost. But again, there are conflicting commentaries out there read them and decide. But I think it's a warning to us, a stern warning, not to turn in the consequences that can result if we do. So let's talk about the power of warnings or of sometimes we just, some, something just needs to get our attention, right? Okay, so those of you who know me know I'm not very handy, okay? I'm not allowed near power tools in my house. And in particular, sharp power tools are the worst kind. I gotta stay away from it. My wife will not let me use them or go near them. That's probably the right thing to do. So I had some uh, awesome guys come over and help me uh, do a little deck project at my house a couple years ago. And I'm using, this will show you how little I know, I'm using one of those big circle saw. What are those called? What are those called, John? Skill saw, yeah, or lack thereof. So I'm using a big skill saw, right? My wife comes down when I'm cutting a couple of boards, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm helping out with the project. I'm doing this. So everybody goes away, and it's just me and the skill saw, and I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I'm feeling you know, like my man skills are rising, you know. And so I cut through the board. I pull the handle up, but I don't pull it up all the way. Now, everybody who's used a skill saw knows what's going on now, right? So I pull it up about three-quarters of the way, and I reach down to get the board, and the blade hits my finger and stops on it. And I make this face. And nobody even saw, right? But guess what? I got a warning, didn't I? Because a couple seconds before that, I might have lost a finger or two, right? And guess what I never did again? Well, I, I haven't used a skill saw since then, number one. But number two, I never pulled the handle up halfway anymore. The warning got my attention, right? Sometimes we need a warning to get our attention. Those of us who have kids, sometimes you just got to warn them, and sometimes you use hyperbole to warn them, don't you? Don't stick your finger in that socket, and then you come up with some awful thing that will happen, when really it will just get their attention, right? I think that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to do here. He is trying to get our attention with a warning. And when you dig into these words, he uses some words 
that certainly get our attention. At least I know when I read them, these words scare me. Let's look at it again. Let's break it down a little more. If we deliberately continue sinning, this is uh, starting at 26 again, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only terrible expectation of God's judgment, raging fire, skipping down to 29. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant as if it were common and unholy. Then skipping down, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. The Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is what I would call a sobering exhortation. That's a fancy word. It's not just encouragement. It comes with challenge, and Hebrews is full of them. So dictionary definition of exhortation is a speech or discourse that encourages, incites, or earnestly advises. This one does all three. The Hebrew author talks about the old covenant before Jesus. Now before Jesus, there were no, if you look at the old covenant, the old testament, and what he's saying for deliberate sin is under the old covenant, there was no sacrifice that would cover it. So if you read the old covenant, Yes, there were mess-ups all the time. I think in Leviticus there's something like 636 laws, something like that, okay? But for deliberate, presumptuous sin, when you knew of the law, there was no sacrifice that would cover it. If you broke God's law and you knew it going into it, you were executed, plain and simple. That's what he's referring back to. That's why David, in Psalm 51, if you want to put that up, everybody knows David's mess-up, right? And he had multiple, but he had a very public one as king and he says in Psalm 51 16 and 17 you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one you don't want a burnt offering the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit you will not reject a broken spirit and a repentant heart because David deliberately sinned he should have been slain under the old law but he cried out for God's mercy he knew that no matter how many sacrifices he did Those couldn't save him. All he could offer was his broken heart. Now there should be a little pause here at this point in the warning, a little kind of a yikes feeling, but a lot of gratitude. That because of Jesus, we're under the new covenant. He's the answer. He's made all things new. His sacrifice connects us to God's grace. Amen? Having said that, we get into our first R. We have to refuse, say it with me, refuse... We have to refuse to live or return to a life of willful, deliberate sin. Even though we're not under the old covenant anymore, there are still consequences to willful, deliberate sin. And let's be honest, don't a lot of us have an arrogant attitude about some of this stuff? Don't we just, you know, we have these habits that we fall into and think, well, I mean, this is just kind of my struggle, right? You know, thank goodness I'm saved. But this is my struggle. This is, you know, it's just what I deal with. But that kind of arrogant attitude costs us in our relationship with God, doesn't it? It puts up a wall. It affects that intimacy. Verse 29 in Hebrews 10 says, It's as though we're trampling Jesus underfoot, cheapening his blood that saves us and making it a common thing. But some of us do that all the time. It's the exact opposite of what Blake preached about last week. Instead of having a bold profession of faith and coming together and encouraging each other in good works, 
we have this arrogant attitude towards deliberate sin sometimes that puts us at odds with God's word and brings disgrace to the name of Christ and the church. We have to recognize this and stop it. I think a couple weeks ago, Blake even said that, well, what do we do first? Well, stop. We have to stop it. That's not a spiritual point. That's an action point. Stop it. Hebrews 6.1 says this. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting and turning from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Surely we don't need to keep going. You know, he's pleading here. Surely we don't need to keep going over and over this. We have to turn from our evil deeds if we want relationship with God, if we want to honor the sacrifice of Jesus. We have to go deeper. So if we don't stop and mature, if we don't grow out of this in turn, what can this kind of Christian, what can we as believers expect from God? The answer is pretty clear from the first part of our passage. Discipline. <laughs> you can expect it. Jesus disciplines those he loves. You can't, again, you can't water down these words that he's using. God's judgment and raising fire, a worse punishment than death from 27 and 29. I've been reading a lot in the Old Testament lately. And the bottom line is if you look at the history of Israel... They were so repeatedly disobedient that hardly anybody that was saved by the blood of the Passover lamb that was spared even made it to the promised land. They didn't make it. They were disciplined and chastised over and over for returning and turning back to a life of deliberate sin instead of walking by faith in the God that had saved them. That is not just an old covenant concept, folks. It's not. And the reason I say that is you can look at Corinthians. Some of the Corinthian believers were disciplined and their lives were even taken because of their presumptuous sin in taking communion. Let's look at that scripture, 1 Corinthians 11. Everybody with me? So if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. This threat of discipline or chastising, as we'll talk about, this is not an idle threat. It's discipline with a purpose to rid us of sin. We've got to ask ourselves, are we examining our own hearts? to try to rid them and asking Jesus to rid them of deliberate, willful sin so that our actions and attitudes honor him. We have to ask ourselves that. We have to self-examine. We may not lose our salvation, but the stakes are high if we want relationship with God. The consequences are real. Wearsby puts it this way. God does not always take the life of a rebellious believer but he always deals with them. God does not always take the life of a rebellious believer, but he always deals with them. Ask my kids. I actually say this to them, okay? And it, you guys can hear me saying this. They're probably nodding back there. But if they keep coming at me with something I've asked them to do or this or that, I will look straight at them and say, hey, do you want me to deal with you? And it's like the last chance. Like, if you want me to deal with you, that's the path we're on. 
if you want to do something else or just do what I'm asking, then we're good. But I will look right in their eyes and say, do you want me to deal with you? And they don't. Mostly, you know, sometimes it's worth it for them to keep pushing. Usually not. But I ever have a parenting moment like that? Like, hey, I'm at the edge. Do you want me to deal with you? And we serve a loving Heavenly Father. He's just calling to us. Come closer. Right? He's calling. But if we're choosing a life of deliberate sin that tramples the blood of Jesus, he has to deal with us. He doesn't want to lose us to the world. He'd rather deal with us. And I'm thankful for that. I'd rather him deal with me than lose me, right? When the nation of Israel refused to believe and obey God's word, God chastised them or chastened them. I think this is the stern warning in Hebrews here. If we don't deal with this deliberate willful sin problem, then Dr. William Culbertson, who used to be pre who was the who's the late president of the Moody Bible Institute, put it like this: If we don't deal with this deliberate sin problem, we have to be prepared to suffer the sad consequences of forgiven sins. The sad consequences. Going back to David's example, God forgave him, but David suffered the sad consequences of that choice of deliberate sin. Worsby sums it up like this. There is no other sacrifice for sin, but the sacrifice Christ made is sufficient for all our sins. It's a fearful thing to fall into the Lord's hands for chastening, but it's a wonderful thing to fall into his hands for cleansing and restoration. So we should be thankful that God is willing to extend his mercy when we choose deliberate sin, which we all struggle with sometimes, that he wants to cleanse and restore us. But wouldn't you rather fall into his loving hands than his terrible hands <laughs> to deal with us? Wouldn't you rather run into his loving arms than to be dealt with in his terrible hands? They're both out of love, but if we can choose, let's choose to turn and run into his loving arms instead. We have to refuse and turn from a life of deliberate sin. The first R, refuse. The second R, reflect. Say it with me, reflect. We've got to reflect on what Jesus has done for us and what we have done and will do again for him when we walk and live by faith. Let's go back to Hebrews 10, verse 32. Think back on those days when you first learned about Christ. The Greek word here is when you were first enlightened. So think back to that. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. Here's the sentence. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. How many of us in this room have had that realization with Jesus that Whatever we're laying down, we know that there are better things waiting that will last forever. Isn't that a linchpin of the faith? We know it. Can we always explain to people how we know it? No, but we know it. Praise God for that. One of the most powerful ways to fortify people against future trials, and again, we know they're coming, right? We're either in a trial, we've been through a trial, or another one's coming, right? One of the most powerful ways to strengthen against those is to remind people, like the author of Hebrews does here, of the courage they displayed in past trials. 
We must remember that these path experiences can never be taken away from us. I call them faith builders, okay? So here's a good chance to get real. I want you to think about for a second a faith builder, a story, an experience in your life that you hold on to when everything's the toughest. Are you thinking about it? Smith, it's easy for you, right? Pretty recent. But that's something that can't be taken away, right? It's a faith anchor. Whether it's an experience with God that you've had, an answered prayer in a way that only God could, a dream. If my wife has a dream, I listen. She hears from God in that way. But it's something that can never be taken away. Don't we all have that as part of our faith story? Sometimes that's all we can hold on to. That's what he's encouraging the Jewish Christians here. Remember what God's done. Remember what you've been through. Hang on to it. I know it's hard. But hang on and walk by faith. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. Remember that what's coming is better than what you left behind. And if, if you've got nothing else, just hang on. Remember what God did. Remember, are we willing to join each other in suffering for Jesus like these Jewish Christians? That's what he's talking about. They joined each other in the suffering. Right? Are we willing to do that? So at the time they first were enlightened to Jesus, the Jewish Christians had great confidence and hope, but now they were in danger and the author sees this, of just throwing it all away. That's why he reminded them to reflect on, remember the life and joy that you had when you lived by faith in Christ. So I want you to think about, pray about, you know, take it to the Lord. What's your faith anchor? And guess what? If it's on the front of your mind, great, hang on to it. If it's not, find it. When you're in those tough times, share it with somebody. Post it in the comment section. Share it. It's edifying to people, right, who are going through tough times. I want to hear somebody else's faith story or faith anchor. I want to hear from the Smiths. I'm thankful for their vulnerability. Because guess what? When I'm going through something tough, I'll remember it. And I'll hang on. Sometimes we all just got to hang on with that faith anchor. It's what we're hooked to. The third R. We're moving through. Everybody ready for encouragement? Now, we're getting there. Warnings are running out. The third R, ready. Say ready. So how do we overcome this struggle to set aside deliberate sin, to not turn back when times are tough? We ready ourselves to live by faith and endure future trials and pressures. Again, expect them. They're coming. So the author continues the encouragement with verse 35. Do not throw away this confident trust in yourself. Is that what it says? No. Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. If you're trusting yourself, forget it. It ain't going to work. Okay? Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Patient endurance. This leads into the central idea of Hebrews in verse 38. The just shall live by faith. We've all heard that, right? Easier said than done, but it's, it's the central theme of Hebrews. The just shall live by faith. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, defined in Hebrews 11.1, 1, not 
what is seen or not walking by sight, which is also referred to in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Now, you guys know I have to get my Habakkuk reference in here. I'm a big Habakkuk guy. So here comes that scripture. Blake teased me about that when he saw the slides. Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. There's a lot of pride around us, isn't there? There's a lot of pride in us, first of all. Everybody just like to trust themselves above all else. Is it just me? Romans 1.17 says, The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. That takes it to the next level, doesn't it? So what's the converse of that? If we don't have faith, we don't have what? Life. Real life. Galatians 3.11 says, So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Right now, don't you feel like the enemy's just a little bit puffed up right now with everything that's going on? We're just constantly bombarded by distraction. Life is, I've said this to my wife multiple times this week, life is just draining us. But guess what? It's not life, it's the enemy. He's trying to drain us. Anybody else feel that? So what's the answer? It's Jesus, of course. Life is trying to drain us. He is calling us in the midst of it. Let me say that again. Life is trying to drain us, but he is calling us in the midst of it. Come closer. Come closer. It's the key to having life and joy in the midst of everything that's going on and forward. Another commentary I looked at called the African-American New Testament Commentary puts it like this. Chapter 10 calls readers to reflect on how God has helped them through a difficult period they had they had suffered as believers and to set themselves in readiness to deal with any further pressures they might have to undergo for their faith. He encouraged the readers to will endurance, to remind themselves of the promises of God, and to commit their trust to God's timely care. What God promises will result, but it cannot be rushed by our impatience. When you must wait on God, don't lose your faith. Use your faith. We all feel like we're waiting for something right now, right? So don't lose your faith in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the patient endurance. Use your faith to hang on to that life and joy that only he can bring. The just shall live by faith, and the stakes are high. If we're not living by faith, if we're trusting ourselves, we're going to be drained. The last R, reward. Say reward. Everybody with me? Verse 39 brings it home. I think verse 39 actually encapsulates the whole passage. Let's read it together. But we, notice these pronouns here, okay? So at the beginning of the chapter, he's talking about 
those and they who turn away. And then he transitions to, but we who patiently persevere. So what does that say? It says the author expects these Jewish Christians to persevere. He's saying, don't be like them and turn. We will get through. Do you see the difference? So let's look at 39. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. If you walk out of here with one sentence today, that might be it. <laughs> Don't remember anything I said. Go back, to the, go back to the scripture. I mean, you can remember something I said if you want. But We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Walk out of here with that confidence. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. But it's tied to the faithful, right? In other words, by doing God's will, we will receive all he has promised. This is the eternal reward. The believer who lives by faith will go on to salvation and perfection, but the believer who lives by sight or turns back will fall back to destruction. This is where, as we're finishing up, this is where we get into the concept of waste. One of the different ways that that word destruction translates is waste. I just hate that word. Don't you? Waste. It's such a sad word, isn't it? It just evokes in me a sadness when I think about wasting. The idea being that a believer who doesn't walk by faith goes back into the old ways and wastes his life. That should sicken us a little bit. When we know the truth, when we've been enlightened by Jesus, and yet we're turning to things that are just causing us to waste it all. It's a choice on some level. And I think the rich young ruler story illustrates it perfectly. That's what we're going to close with. Luke 18. It's an impactful story. It's one with which we're all familiar. Once a religious leader, starting at verse 18, asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely and honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard this answer, he said, and some translations say he loved and had compassion on him. There's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was rich. Now, wealth is easy to focus on, obviously, in this chapter, but any deliberate sin, whether it's love of wealth or some of the ones that we'd rather not talk about that come a lot more naturally to us, but the rich young ruler wasn't willing to lay down or lose his life for Jesus' sake. That's the bottom line. And he wandered away. We don't know what happened to him after that, but we know that he knew the truth, and instead of giving his life to Jesus, he held on tighter, and he wandered away. Now, does that mean he lost his salvation? I don't know, but he missed out on a lot. He wasted some things. It's a choice. We have to choose to lay our lives down for Jesus' sake if we don't we risk wandering away. Sometimes don't you just feel like you're hanging on so tight? Anybody else feel like that? 
you're just hanging on so tight like you can control it, like you can make it turn out a certain way, when all you really need to do is let go, is give it up. I just lost the scripture I had. Matthew 16, 25, 26. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The enemy wants to take it. But the only way we can keep it and get real life is to let it go. So what's our takeaway? Hopefully Hebrews 10 leaves us warned and encouraged to turn to Jesus as the only answer and to live by faith with patient endurance. The four R's. Refuse to live or return to a life of deliberate sin. Reflect on what Jesus has done and will do and hang on to that faith, faith anchor when it's tough. Reflect, remember, share it with somebody. Be ready. Ready ourselves to live by faith and endure future trials and pressures. They're coming, and then the reward. When we walk by and live by faith, we will receive what God has promised. John Piper said this. Let's all say to God as honestly and sincerely as we can, wherever you send, I will go. It's risky, it's thrilling, but it will end well. Let's commit to doing that together. Let's leave here with confidence that as we walk by faith, our lives will not be wasted, and Jesus is the answer that will guide us and perfect us to the end. Amen? Let's pray as the worship team comes back up. God, thank you so much for your challenge, for your warning, for your truth. Lord, we want to walk in here one way and walk out a different way. Challenge and change us. Break our hearts. Help us to hear your warning if it applies to where we are in our lives, God. Help us to refuse to walk in deliberate sin. Help us to honor you and your blood and your sacrifice in that way. God, help us to reflect on what you've done for us. Ready us for the trials and temptations and difficulties that are coming. And Lord, we want to receive that eternal reward. We want to receive from you what matters in the end and not have any portion of our lives be wasted. Help us to remember that, to hang on to it. Lord, if some of us are struggling with faith during these difficult times, just remind us of that faith anchor. What can we hold on to that comes from you that will get us through? I just pray for each and every one in here that we'll walk out of here with that and with that confident assurance that when we walk and live by faith, that's where you want us to be, and you'll reward us in the end. It's in Jesus' name pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.